For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 378th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, you remember watching The Haunting of Bly Manor? I certainly do. And you remember what Bly Manor looked like? I do. Well, I believe that Thornwood Castle was an inspiration for that. It's not exact, but it's pretty darn close in its appearance. Very cool. And it just so happens that this Thornwood Castle has appeared in other horror movies or miniseries, and it is haunted, supposedly. Excellent. So that's what we're going to be talking about on this episode. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Gary, Kelsey, Sarah with an H, Glenn, Kate with a K, Sammy with a Y, Brandy, Jeremy, Debbie M, and Debbie G, Mary, Leslie, and someone with my favorite name, Diane. (laughs) There's no ego behind that. (laughs) Welcome to the crew, you guys. And now, this moment, Noddity. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Brianne Sanford. We live in the lightning capital of the United States here in Florida. We've even had a scary incident in which one of my managers, whom also is a neighbor that lives a couple of blocks away, had his house struck by lightning. The bolt went through the roof and hit his son's bed, whom thankfully was not in bed at the time. It was a reminder of how dangerous lightning can be, but your chances of being hit by lightning is about 1 in 500,000, unless you are William Yettle Cosper. Then you might be hit more than once, and even have issues in the afterlife. Cosper was born in 1844 and died in 1919 at the age of 75. In that year, he was struck by lightning while standing on his front porch. He was injured, but survived. After recovering, he went home and more than likely stayed off the front porch. That wouldn't save him from being struck again. He was hit this time while inside his house, and this strike proved to be fatal. His family was devastated and had him buried in the Childersburg Cemetery in Alabama. The darn lightning would not leave Cosper to rest in peace. His headstone was hit and destroyed by lightning. The family pooled their funds and had another tombstone made. And guess what? Yep, the headstone was struck by lightning and destroyed again. The family couldn't afford to replace it, so it still sits in bits to this day. 
being struck by lightning four times, twice while in the grave, certainly is odd. you should be afraid of is the thing that watches you sleep. <laughs> and now, this month in history. In the month of March, on the 16th in 1926, the first liquid-fueled rocket successfully launches. The Chinese had developed the first rockets out of gunpowder in the early part of the 13th century, and these were probably glorified firework rockets. Europe would follow later that same century with gunpowdered, propelled rockets. There was a man named Robert H. Goddard who had big dreams and found inspiration in the writing of H.G. Wells. He wanted to build a rocket that would go to space, but clearly gunpowder rockets were never going to be able to do that. He was a physics teacher, and he proved that rockets could propel in an airless vacuum-like space. After that, he started experimenting with various liquid fuels like hydrogen and oxygen. Goddard made his test rocket out of thin pipes. It was 10 feet tall, and he filled it with liquid oxygen and gasoline. On that 16th day of March, Goddard launched his rocket in Auburn, Massachusetts, and it traveled for 2.5 seconds at a speed of about 60 miles per hour. It reached an altitude of 41 feet and landed 184 feet away. Goddard was initially ridiculed in the press for his ideas as they scoffed at the idea of a rocket to the moon. With the New York Times writing in 1920, Dr. Goddard seems to lack the knowledge ladled out daily in high schools. Goddard continued working on his rockets until his death in 1945. He never got to witness the work of NASA and all they would accomplish, but his name does appear on NASA's Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. Thornwood Castle is located in Lakewood, Washington. The English Tudor Gothic Mansion is the only private castle on the West Coast and is known as the house that Love built. The property and castle are so gorgeous that they have become a popular venue for weddings and have been featured in several films and series, including Stephen King's Rose Red. Which makes us wonder, is the castle really haunted? The answer seems to be yes. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Thornwood Castle. Lakewood, Washington was originally known as the Prairie, which was a beautiful area that the Nisqually and Steelacom Native American tribes used as a gathering spot and hunting ground. Before long, settlers and trappers arrived in the area and the Hudson Bay Company built a fur trading post here known as Fort Nisqually in 1833. As fur trading declined, Fort Nisqually closed and was sold to the United States in 1869. Uprisings between settlers and the Native Americans occurred throughout these years where you had the fort and settlers were building their farms, and the Nisqually chief Leschi would be wrongly accused of murder and hanged in 1858. 
Several mills would be built in the prairie along with a schoolhouse, and the western terminus of the Northern Pacific Railway would make its way to nearby Tacoma. Homes would eventually erase the prairie, and many estates would be built along the shorelines of the lakes that remained. One of those stately manors would be the Thorne Mansion. The Thorne Mansion would be named for the man who had built it, Chester Thorne. Chester had been born in New York City to Edwin and Charlotte Thorne in 1863. The Thorne family went back to 1645 when William Thorne settled on Long Island. Chester's father worked in the leather trade, but Chester had set his sights on other things. He went into civil engineering, getting his initial training at a military school in Poughkeepsie, New York, and then he attended Yale. His first big job was with the Missouri Pacific Railway. He eventually moved to Tacoma in 1890 and got involved with the National Bank of Commerce and later became its president. The Panic of 1893 took many people and banks down. But Thorne had such good financial prowess, he kept the bank stable and eventually it flourished again. He co-founded the Port of Tacoma and became involved with a variety of Pacific Northwest companies through the years, from Pacific Alaskan Navigation Company to Tacoma Savings Bank and Trust Company to Alaska Pacific Steamship Company to Pacific Cold Storage Company and even helped in the development of Rainier National Park. Chester had pushed to have Mount Rainier, named Mount Tacoma. He became the first president of Rainier National Park Company. Yeah, so when you say he was a part of the founding of Tacoma and its growth, yeah, he had his fingers in just about everything. Certainly looks that way. A few years before moving to Tacoma, Chester married Anna Hoxie in New York City. The couple would have four children, a son named Edwin and three daughters, Charlotte, Anita, and Patricia. Based on fine to grave, it seems that only one daughter was still alive when Chester passed away. So they are going to lose three of their children before he passes away. And of course, Anna passes away after him. So I don't know what happened with their children. I didn't get any information on that, but... Very sad. Only Anita is going to make it to adulthood and everything. Chester had always dreamed of having a uniquely designed country estate. And he made that dream a reality in 1908 when construction started on Thornwood Castle. The architect was Kirtland Kelsey Cutter, and the style was in the Tudor Gothic. And I don't know when they moved it from calling it the Thorn Mansion to Thornwood Castle. I think there are some people who refer to it as the Thorn Mansion because that was the family that owned it. But eventually it came to be known as Thornwood Castle, which is probably what they named it from the very beginning. But people use both names interchangeably. Sure. To make sure this estate was authentic, get a load of this, Kelly. And this is why this is like the home that love built. Chester actually purchased a 400-year-old Elizabethan manor in England and then had the whole thing dismantled and shipped across the pond. Oh, my word. (laughs) Now, even crazier, you're thinking, okay, they're up in the Pacific Northwest. This is in the early 1900s. There was no Panama Canal. Oh, my gosh. So three ships had to make their way down the Atlantic Ocean and around Cape Horn, and then up through the Pacific Ocean to Washington State. That must have been quite the harrowing journey. (laughs) (laughs) Why don't you just, like, take the idea about this manor and... But he wanted the actual supplies and materials that were used for that, too. So, and you're not going to get a lot of that, I guess, in the Pacific Northwest. And from what I remember, Cape Horn is extremely dangerous to sail around. Yeah, we have all kinds of stories of shipwrecks going around Cape Horn. So, yeah. And he had to get three ships around that. This included their front door, an oak staircase, oak paneling, and red brick. There were also a hundred pieces of stained glass that were salvaged from European churches dating back to the 15th and 16th century. 
This collection of art glass had belonged to an English duke who had collected it over 40 years. That I would love to see. Yeah. I love stained glass. I do too. And apparently this duke, I don't know if he's just like, oh, I want to sell my collection. And Chester said, okay, I'll buy it. The initial construction started with a three-foot thick foundation. The exterior walls were built from concrete, and the imported brick was then reinforced with steel. They were 10 inches thick. The floors were made from 18 inches of concrete. Construction took three years, and when the house was completed, it had 54 rooms, 22 bedrooms, 22 bathrooms, covering 27,000 square feet. I am not cleaning 22 bathrooms. (laughs) I'm sorry, that's a bit much. Just a tad. It had cost a million dollars to build. There are 17 chimneys made from sandstone, but only around half of them are actually connected to fireplaces fashioned from Florentine marble. The other half are ornamental. Forty servants were employed at the house to meet the needs of the family. So you basically just want it to look that much more grand with all the extra faux fireplaces. Yes. (laughs) Or chimneys, I should say. At Epcot, when you're going through the UK area... And you look at some of the houses there and they even have them authentic with the, looks like it has soot up on the chimneys, but they have several chimneys that are just sitting up there. So I guess that was the look. I guess so. The other thing that I think is just crazy is keep in mind, I don't know when all of the children passed away, but as far as I know, the only people that lived in this house from the Thorne family are going to be Chester, Anna, and their daughter, Anita. Oh, good grief. 54 rooms, 22 bedrooms, and then a staff of 40 servants? I mean... Slight overkill. Just a little. The manor was not only grand, but so were the grounds. Frederick Law Olmsted was a renowned landscape architect who designed Central Park in New York City and was credited with being the father of American landscape architecture. He must have taught his sons, the Olmsted brothers, well, because they became renowned landscape architects in their own rights and they designed Thornwood's landscape. There were a 100 acres total that made up the estate, and they would turn 37 of those acres into an English garden. The Squally River soil was laid out over that acreage 18 inches thick. So they just trucked in all of this really nutrient-rich soil. Wow, I bet the gardens were just beautiful. Wisteria, pillar roses, purple clematis, and climbing hydrangea were planted. Sculpted fountains and many pieces of statuary were also included. The Kingsdale Hounds are part of this collection. This garden is part of the Smithsonian Institute Heritage Exhibit. A special sunken garden was designed for Anna, which she dubbed her secret garden. This garden was featured in several publications. Nearly all rooms of this house had a lake view, but Anna's sitting room had a view of her garden. Twenty-eight gardeners had to be employed to keep up with the grounds, and one in particular was known as the color gardener. That person's responsibility was to coordinate color schemes according to the seasons. And if you remember watching The Haunting of Bly Manor, it had a pretty grand garden. I mean, it needed a lot of work, but it had a pretty grand garden all around it, too. This is true. Two presidents visited the manor, Theodore Roosevelt and William Howard Taft. Chester, or Chess, as his friends called him, had left his mark on Tacoma by the time he died in 1927. The Tacoma Times wrote of him after his death. He was one of this city's best-loved men, a great leader in industrial and civic enterprises, a true friend to hundreds in all walks of life. He was the father of the Port of Tacoma, and to it he gave much of his time during the later years of his life, serving as port commissioner. Anna and Chester had been married 41 years at the time. She would continue to live another 27 years and passed away in 1954. 
The Thorns' daughter, Anita, married, and she and her husband, Cadwaller Colden Course. His parents must have liked the letter C. And Cadwaller's name is brought to you by the letter C. <laughs> what a name. I don't even know where they got Cadwallader from, but then Colden Course. <laughs> so Cadwallader Colden Course lived at the mansion with their son and Anna. Just three weeks after Chester passed, Cadwallader was taken to the hospital by ambulance with a serious injury. A bullet from a rifle lodged in his head behind his right eyeball, which had to be removed. The claim was that this was an accident that occurred while he was carrying the rifle, but no one knows for sure what happened. Yeah, it just seems weird to me carrying a rifle that you would manage to shoot yourself in the head that it would go behind your eyeball. I mean, how were you yeah. carrying that gun? I don't know. It'd be one thing if he was like cleaning it, I could see, but carrying it? I don't know. Anita shot him in the head. I know it. <laughs> it is but a mystery. I watched too much true crime, especially because Anita eventually divorced Cadwallader. She hated his name. I think that was it. <laughs> Must have been. And married Major General David Stone, who was building the nearby Fort Lewis. He was eventually transferred to the Panama Canal, and Anita left Thornwood Castle in 1937. Her mother, Anna, found the big house too much and too lonely, and she moved into a smaller Georgian home in Tacoma that she had built. Eventually, Anita and the general came back to Thornwood, and Anna joined them once again, and she died at the manor. When General Stone died in 1957, Anita sold the house to Harold St. John. He left the mansion on four acres and sold the rest of the land for 30 home sites. Parts of the house were turned into apartments. St. John sold the property in 1965 to Frank McMillan, and he later sold it to Perry Palmer. Steve Redwine bought it in the 1980s, and it was added to the Register of Historic Places. Richard and Debbie Morale bought Thornwood in 1995, and they would be the ones to bring the manor back to its former grandeur. Deanna and Wayne Robinson bought the house in 2000. The renovations they continued on the house were painstaking and amazing. The Great Hall had been blocked off into rooms to make an apartment. The fireplace was bricked in to about half its size. Ceiling molding was damaged in many places. They redid everything, opening up the hall once again, restoring the fireplace to its original size, and redoing the wood floors and wood paneling. They used a special technique to restore the ceiling molding. To make sure it all matched, they taped off areas that were undamaged and used a rubber compound to make a mold they could use to make new ceiling molding. On Thornwood Castle's website, they have a bunch of pictures showing all of the different restoration they did in the different rooms and stuff. And it's just amazing to watch how they did a lot of this stuff so that they could get it to look like it had been at one time. Very cool that they took the time to go through all that effort. And when you're talking about restoring wood floors, I mean, we're talking huge spanses of area that they had to do. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. This episode of History Goes Bump is brought to you by Smile Brilliant. Kelly, Kelly, wake up. Uh, what? What? I'm awake. You're grinding your teeth again. Are you worried about something? Maybe our recent investigation made you fearful or anxious? I ain't afraid of no ghost. It's just something I've done out of habit, I guess. We need to get you a night guard for your teeth. But Dennis charged like 200 to $300 for those. Well, I found something that's going to work even better than going to the dentist. Smile Brilliant. They have a lab direct process where you can get a custom fitted night guard for as little as $45. You're kidding. No, and don't feel like you're alone in this because about 40 million other Americans grind their teeth too. And you know, if you don't get that in check, it could cause an abnormal bite, worn enamel, tooth decay, sleeplessness, and it wakes me up. 
Aw, poor baby. And you know something else that's great about Smile Brilliant? Have you seen Mort's teeth? They're pretty nasty. Oh, but I thought I had pretty choppers. Smile Brilliant has custom-fitted teeth whitening trays as well, and a Carry Pro electric toothbrush, so I think we can get Mort in on some of this action. Very cool. I look forward to having his teeth not look so yellow. And can I use some of the whitening too? You know, the coffee really stains my teeth pretty badly. Kelly, head over to www.smilebrilliant.com and use Bump at checkout for 30% off. That's B-U-M-P. Once again, that's www.smilebrilliant.com and use Bump at checkout to get 30% off. Cool. I'm actually pretty excited about this. You ain't the only one. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Today, Thornwood Castle is a bed and breakfast featuring suites filled with antiques and historical pieces. There are also vacation rentals on the property and special events like weddings and corporate retreats are hosted here. The manor has also appeared in several movies and television series. Stephen King's Rose Red, a made-for-television movie set in Seattle, was filmed at the castle in 2001 and aired on ABC TV on January 27th, 28th, and 31st in 2002. Did you watch that? I don't believe I did. I don't really remember the storyline that well, but I do remember watching it. I'd probably have to watch some excerpts, and then I would know if I watched it or not. (laughs) A lot of the restoration and construction was done for the movie, and it was paid for by the movie, so that really helped to get it to where it was at. I think this getting the Great Hall up to par, because they use that heavily in the movie, is one of the things that they helped pay for. The Robinsons have collected memorabilia from the filming, and this is all at the manor. Guests can watch their copy of Rose Red, too. The prequel to Rose Red was The Diary of Ellen Rimbauer, which was written by Ridley Pearson, and this series was filmed mainly at Thornwood Castle as well. Daniel Day-Lewis's film There Will Be Blood used exterior shots of the house. And as we mentioned, Bly Manor from the series The Haunting of Bly Manor seems to favor the castle as well, especially with its grand gardens. And this has inspired us to go down a little rabbit hole. Hello? Hello? Yes, I'm down here in the rabbit hole, and I've brought you with me. For those who don't know, The Haunting of Bly Manor was inspired by several works written by Henry James. In particular, The Turn of the Screw. James was inspired to write that story after he heard about a haunting at an estate called Hinton Ampner in Hampshire, England. There had once been a Tudor mansion that stood about 50 yards from the current structure there today. The house had acquired a sinister reputation. It seemed the guy who had once lived here, Lord Stawell, was thought to be an evil guy. After his wife died, he took her younger sister as his mistress. 
The two were rumored to have had a baby, but the child disappeared. The mistress died, and many said it was some kind of revenge from the dead wife or some type of karma. Lord Stawell died a year later. Shortly after that, people started reporting hearing strange sounds coming from the house. Locals also claimed to see the apparition of Lord Stawell. The Ricketts family moved into the manor in 1765. They had a few strange things happen, so they resolved that something was haunting the place. Mr. Ricketts went away for business, and the activity increased dramatically. Mary Ricketts reported hearing the swishing of a woman's dress, a disembodied shrill female voice, and then a man's voice that she found unsettling. The male and female voices would continue throughout the nights. Mary said they would start when she went to bed and continued until daybreak. She became so frightened that she asked her brother for help and he brought a friend. The two men searched every room with pistols and found nothing, but soon they heard disembodied groans and felt unseen things pass by them. Mary's brother said the house was unfit for living in and Mrs. Ricketts and her children fled it. By 1797, the manor was an abandoned wreck and so it was torn down. Workers found a box full of bones and a small skull under the floor. Could this have been the baby of Lord Stalwell? Was this why the place was so haunted? One can see why Henry James was inspired by the location and its stories. And thanks for joining us down this rabbit hole. But how about Thornwood Castle? Does it have stories? The answer seems to be yes, and it all starts back with the construction of the manor. Native Americans helped to construct Thornwood Castle. Just like slave builders we have talked about on previous episodes, the Native Americans had certain customs that they followed when building to help prevent bad energy or spirits from coming into a home. These Native Americans made these hanging sticks that formed the shape of a wishbone. And that is what some people call them, wishbone sticks. They placed them in various places along the foundation wall in the basement. The hope was thought that these would not only protect the thorns, but bring them good luck. It's really cool to think that despite having five owners, no one touched or removed those sticks. The Robinsons went so far as to host a 2004 smudging ceremony to recharge, if you will, the sticks. Raina and Bob Bearclaw conducted the ceremony. From the Thornwood Castle website, white sage and cedar are burned and the smoke is then fanned over the object with eagle and hawk feathers. This is to cleanse, purify, and bless objects, homes, and people. It works to lift and dispel negativity and darkness, similar to lifting a burr off an animal's fur. In the same manner, we as humans sometimes allow and engage depression, negative thoughts, despair, and the weight of daily rigor to stick with us and weigh us down. This ceremony helps us to actively dislodge these encumbrances and frees us to once again allow the positive forces and light to renew our spirit. Anna Thorne loved this home, and she loved her garden. She would sit for hours at the window, gazing on that secret garden. Today, Anna's former room is the bridal suite, and it has been a center of activity for years. Guests and staff have reported seeing Anna seated at the window, looking out at the garden, and they see this both inside and from the outside. A mirror that is original to the house sits in this room, and there are several people who have claimed to see Anna's reflection behind them. It's amazing how many times you hear that story of people looking in a mirror and seeing a spirit behind them. Indeed. And it always makes you wonder, is the spirit really there? Because a lot of them will turn around and it's not. So is it them inside the mirror, as we've talked before, that sometimes spirits get trapped in mirrors? So are they gazing at the mirror from behind them or are they gazing out of the mirror at them? A man and lady have been seen on the main staircase wearing clothes from another era. The man smells of old leather and is wearing a leather outfit. The woman wears an empire-style dress with a high waist and some garland in her hair. Could this be the thorns? 
Chester is said to be seen both inside the house and on the grounds wearing riding attire. The smoking room has activity connected to the lighting, and it is in this room that they have attempted to fix the lighting to be more suitable. Owner Deanna Robinson had noticed on several occasions that when she entered the room, she would find a random light bulb unscrewed. She would screw it back in, only to find a different light bulb unscrewed. Another lamp in a different room had arms that could swing, and a guest witnessed those arms swing erratically on their own until they crashed into each other and shattered the light globes. The glass fell into a pile right under the lamp. Which is weird, because usually if you have two globes that smash together, you think the glass would go flying everywhere. Weird Washington visited the manor to interview Deanna, and they wrote, When I visited Thornwood Castle, we talked in a side parlor. In the middle of our interview, I noticed that one of the light fixtures was not working. Sure enough, the light bulb was unscrewed, just enough to turn it off. I am reasonably certain that it was lit when we walked in. Deanna believed that this is Mr. Thorne's way of getting people's attention. He got mine. Out by the lake, the apparition of a child has been seen. It so startles guests that many rush out to grab the child before they drown, only to find that the child disappears. It's believed that this is the grandchild of a former owner who drowned in the lake. Activity seemed to pick up during the filming of Rose Red. Several scenes of the miniseries Rose Red were filmed at Thornwood, and the crew found the filming didn't go that easily, possibly due to the hauntings there. Workers reported that their tools went missing. Sometimes they'd find them again, other times not. There were odd power outages and doors opened and closed on their own, sometimes interfering with filming certain scenes. Almost like a scene from the others, Deanna felt as though she were the ghost during an experience she had when alone in the Great Hall. The Thorns loved to host cocktail parties in this room. Deanna was reading a book in there when she suddenly heard the sounds of a cocktail party going on around her. There was the sound of music, clinking of glasses, the noise of people dancing, and disembodied conversation. It was as though she was sitting at a cocktail party hosted at her house, but she was the only one in the room. She felt unnerved as though she were the ghost. She decided to get out of the Great Hall and leave them to their party. Deanna believes that the Great Hall is more than just haunted. She thinks there's some kind of vortex in there, and that is because she saw it one night on the Grand Staircase. She then saw several spirits come through. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, that's just a little bit of a different type of haunting than what most people tend to experience. Yeah, and when I read her experience, I totally was seeing a scene from the others where you think you're hearing ghosts, but you're actually the ghost. So it was almost like that's what she was experiencing there for a moment. She was unnerved because obviously it's creepy to be surrounded by all this stuff that you can't see. But she also felt like she was intruding on their party. So that's one of the reasons why she left. A ghost paranormal team investigated in February of 2020. They tried various experiments and captured a couple of EVP. One features a female voice saying, behind you, and the other a male voice saying, Mark, when asked what his name was. They got nothing in the Great Hall. They captured some disembodied footsteps as well. What was interesting is that they were staying in a lakeside apartment, and that is where they caught most of their evidence. Huh, that is interesting. Yeah, so there's these vacation cottages or what not that are away from the building, but you can still go in and access the main parts of the building too, because it's all kind of its own little complex. And that's where they got most of their stuff was hanging out in that apartment. One guest wrote, the hotel is beautiful. I was staying the night for a wedding. I stayed in a colonial style room. Occasionally you would get a scent of smoking tobacco or a cigar. I went into the media room, just a room with a bunch of DVDs to pick from, and no one was in there with me. 
the floor creaked right behind me and I could feel as if someone stepped right behind my right leg. I ran back to my room and my sister-in-law said I had no color in my face. I take it she didn't grab her DVD? (laughs) I would imagine not. Another activity reported by guests include a guest looking at something in the third floor closet when she felt someone behind her. When she turned, she saw a man in period clothing with his hands on his hips as though he were perturbed that she was going through the closet. She turned away and looked back and he was gone. A white-haired female apparition has been seen going into the office, but no one is in there when she's followed. There's a hall of mirrors with a carpet runner down the middle. This runner is always off-center. Employees put it back to center, and even though no one is in the house, they'll find it off-center once again. A man wearing a gray suit has been seen in the music room. And this story is funny. Apparently, a woman and her daughter were looking at a portrait painting and insinuated that the woman in the portrait was ugly. They both felt a need to apologize as though someone had overheard them. Later, they went to go down the stairs, and the woman fell down right in front of the portrait. Her daughter laughed and then proceeded to slip down several stairs before catching herself. Perhaps they were clumsy, or was it the picture? (laughs) Maybe it served them right. (laughs) I know. You should say bad things about people in pictures. You never know if they're just hanging out right there looking at their own picture. Thornwood Castle has to be one of the most beautiful manor houses we've seen, and it has the perfect creep factor to be used in any horror movie. Does it have real creeps? Is Thornwood Castle haunted? That That is for for you to decide. It is really a cool building. I'll make sure to get some pictures up on Instagram. We encourage you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. On the website, we heard from Lisa. She said, I love your podcast. I have binge listened to all the episodes. I'm listening to episode 352, Cleveland's Millionaire's Row. You were talking about how you heard someone tell you hi in a house you were cleaning. Made me think about what happened to me the other day. I was in the kitchen washing dishes, and I plain as day heard a man ask me to get the door for him. I thought it was my husband since he was outside at the grill. I said, sure, and went to the door. Nobody was there. My husband was still in the middle of the yard at the grill. Keep up the good work. Oh, wow. (laughs) And it is so weird when you hear that voice because you respond to it. Right. That's how much you think you've heard it. And it's like, nope. We got an email from Cheryl. She says, well, I have a new listener to the podcast. My five-year-old granddaughter, Torin, wants to start listening to the podcast, but I'm going to have to sort which ones to allow her to listen to. Plus, she has requirements for listening. Her words. I can only listen in the daylight because I'll be scared if I listen at night. (laughs) And she doesn't want to ghost hunt. She wants to help the ghosts because they don't know they're ghosts and they need to be able to go to heaven. She is determined to go to haunted locations and ghost investigations with her dad and me, but she gets scared easily by the dark and then wants to be held. So her poppy, my husband, goes with us in that capacity. I just thought it was kind of cute that she's come up with these ideas about death and ghosts. So we just want to give a big hello out to you, Torin. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast and good luck with helping those ghosts. Hi, Torin. Thanks for helping the ghosts. And then Nora sent us a message over on the History Goes Bump page on Facebook. Good evening, ladies. This morning I was listening to the podcast on the way to work. Well, it was kind of weird. So I leave my house around 2.40 a.m. to 2.50 a.m. on most mornings. I have a 34-minute drive to work every day, but I don't start work until 4 a.m. Ugh, I used to have hours like that, too. (laughs) So I'm driving down the road, and just before I get on 295 South in Jacksonville, Florida, I had to stop at a red light. And that's when, on the podcast, y'all had said that one of the executive producers had helped with this one and that she had passed away just after helping. Now, what's really weird about that is that 
we had been talking about haunted cemeteries on one of our stereo episodes, and we brought up the story about Dana. Right. And how she had helped us with the haunted cemeteries and then passed away. So I was like, that's really weird that we were talking about that. And then we get this message from this woman. Well, that alone gave me goosebumps, as it did all of us, I think. So I was sitting at the stoplight, cussing it out, because I hate that light. I always get stopped at it. I get the green. I drive up on the highway. I was just driving like I do every day, thinking about pretty much nothing. About five to eight minutes later, I have to come to a quick stop. There was a car stopped in the left-hand lane. It wasn't facing the right direction. It had been in an accident. Several other cars had to stop. I pulled over to the right-hand side, got out of my truck, and asked if anyone called 911. There was a guy standing outside the car on the phone saying, yeah, I'm calling now. I walk over to another car in front of me, and there's a lady standing outside of it. She was with the guy. They were okay. I asked them if they got hit, and she said no. So a few seconds later, the cops all show up. We could see an 18-wheeler off the side of the road. It was flipped over down an embankment. I got to talking to the young couple, and they said that they were heading down to SeaWorld to see family, and that they were from Virginia. They'd been driving all night. So we get to talking, and I made the comment, I don't know if this is inappropriate, but is it weird that I was just listening to a podcast about haunting and ghosts? It's called History Ghost Bump. They were talking about cemeteries in West Virginia. The couple kind of looked at each other like, okay. Well, that's when the guy said, oh, wow, that's kind of weird because we're paranormal investigators and I'm a medium. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can I say that freaked me out? So we're waiting on the cops to come over and take our statements. I decided to go to my truck and get my coffee out of the truck. When I walked back over to the young couple, I took a sip of my coffee and realized what coffee cup it was. It was the coffee cup that I gave my mom three or four years before she passed away. That's when I realized that she was with me and she was the one that made the stoplight red. Because if I would have gotten the green light right away, I would have been the driver of the car that was hit first by a 22-year-old that was driving the wrong way on the highway. Dang. Unfortunately, the driver of the car was a 23-year-old guy and he passed away because of the accident. The 18-wheeler ran off the highway trying to avoid the cars. The driver of the 18-wheeler was okay. She was taken to the hospital with some bad injuries. The young lady that was driving the wrong way was taken to the hospital with severe injuries and she may not walk again. So the cops let us go. They follow me back up the road the wrong direction, which felt kind of weird. We go around and get back up onto 295 heading south. They go on their way and I continue on to work. I get to work about an hour late and that's fine. As I did my job, it kept playing over and over and over again in my head of what could have happened. My manager eventually told me to go home. On my way home, I had to pass back by the accident scene and a car and the 18-wheeler and all the emergency vehicles were still there. It took over 10 hours for them to clean up that scene. So now every day that I have to go to work, it's going to play out in my head again and again. And every day I will pray for the soul of the person who passed away. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to finish listening to that podcast episode. I think I'm just going to skip over it and go to the next one. Sorry, ladies. LOL. (laughs) Perfectly understandable. Yeah, we totally get that. She just felt like she should share that with us. So she said, sorry for the long story. And she goes, oh, and if you do know anyone in Virginia that's a young couple, about 25 to 30 with two kids, can you let me know? I'd like to know that they made it to SeaWorld okay and if they had a great vacation. So yeah, what a crazy story. And it's another one of those times where you're like, here I am, because I've done that many times when I've been yelling at a light, like, can you just change already? Right. And there's always that one light that always is red when I get to it. I rarely get there when it's green. And here she was going, and then she gets up there and she's like, you know, the timing based on all this, because she got onto the accident pretty much right after it had happened. Right. Makes you go, wow. Yeah, I think I think many of us have had experiences like that. Not not necessarily coming up on an accident, but sitting at a light that's always red and you get frustrated and, you know, there there's a reason behind everything. 
Exactly. I'm a firm believer. Want to remind you guys that we are hosting a live show in St. Augustine, Florida on September 18th. You can get more information on that over on Facebook, both in the Hillbilly Horror Stories group and also the Spooktacular crew. We have it up at the very top. Or if you go to Eventbrite and you search Hillbilly Horror Stories and History Ghost Bump, I'm sure it'll come up in the search for you as well. We're about a third sold out on that. And then we also are hosting a ghost hunt at the St. Augustine Lighthouse the night before on Friday, September 17th from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m., We have 30 spots available for that. $45 is the cost, so it's very reasonable. We already have 13 spots filled. So if you haven't gotten on that, you're going to want to do that if you want to do that with us. Kelly, we've been having a lot of fun with our stereos, and we absolutely adore our executive producers. We're always trying to think of ways that we can give them more stuff. So if you've ever been thinking about joining up at Patreon, starting at the $2 and above level, you're not only going to get one bonus episode every single month, but we're putting a lot of the stereos up over there as well. So you're going to get those. Plus you get the regular episodes a day early and without ads. And if you're at the $3 and above level, you get two bonus episodes a month and the $5 and above gets four bonus episodes. Or if there's five Mondays in a month, you get five of them. Yeah, I sure hope that those that enjoy the show do consider joining Patreon. Not only is there a ton of bonus content for you to enjoy, but it really does help us keep this going. You can get more information on that by going over to the website and clicking on the support the show tab. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome back into the cemetery, Preston Headley. We're going to be burying you under a chest tomb. And welcome to Mark Leon Vining. We're going to be putting you in a chest tomb as well. And then Kate Paja and Jeannie Nolan. Both of you are going to be buried in garden crypts. And in three months, you'll have HGB logo mugs coming out to you. Awesome. Thank you so much for supporting the show, you guys. We really appreciate it. And this episode was also brought to you by Smile Brilliant. Head over to SmileBrilliant.com, enter code BUMP for 30% off. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review. This is Diane Sneeze. Because <laughs> God forbid you actually expel any air or anything. <laughs> and these were probably glorified fire rock. Fire rock? Fire, fire rock. On that 16th day of March, Goddard launched his rocker. Rocker? His rocker. He's off his rocker. <laughs> the English Tudor Gothic man- Mansion. <laughs> Here we go. And still a calm Native American troops used troops, Native American troops. <laughs> Oil? <laughs> Don't know where I'm going with that one.
But Thorne had such good financial prowess. Prowess? <laughs> Mowage. Mowage. <laughs> I can't talk. That got me. The exterior walls were built from concrete. 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 <laughs> it's concrete. <laughs> the manor was not only ground. Ground? The manor <laughs> was the ground. World? Look at how ground it is. The smoking room has activity connected to the lightning. The spirits in the manor don't seem to like. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You said to the lightning? <laughs> you said to the lightning. Oh, lighting. Instead of lighting. <laughs> I was thinking lightning from before. <laughs> the smoking room has actively been connected to the lightning. You light up and bam. <laughs> don't light a cigarette near the lightning. Come on. I'm <laughs> going to get hit four times. The spirits in the manor don't seem to like much light. And it... it what? <laughs> you understand me. Come on. Weird Washington visited the manor to interview... To interview... To interview? Interview. Three times? I'm, can I interview you? 